Hi, it's Jamie, Progressive's Employee of the Month, two months in a row. Leave a message at the... Hi, Jamie. It's me, Jamie. I just had a new idea for our song about the Name Your Price tool. So when it's like, tell us what you want to pay, hey, 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 and the trombone goes, blah, 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 and you say, we'll help you find coverage options to fit your budget. Then we just all do finger snaps while a choir goes, savings coming at ya, savings coming at ya. Yes? No? Maybe? Anyway, see your practice tonight. I got new lyrics for the rap break. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Back cut, Gordon Hayward to the rack, slam dunk. 7-0 run by the Jazz, they lead by three. You are Locked On Jazz, your daily podcast on the Utah Jazz. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. It is Locked On Jazz for the 31st of January. We'll take a look back at January and see how the Jazz played and how the league performed and what trends we can take from it as everybody's scuffling. And LeBron puts Charles Barkley on notice. It's all coming up on today's edition of Locked On Jazz. Pow! How are you? I'm David Locke, radio voice of the Utah Jazz, Jazz NBA insider. This is Locked On Jazz, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. So glad to have you Aboard, thanks so much for tuning in to today's show on a Tuesday edition of the show. Uh, we are just not having games right now. Certainly is strange. Uh, today's show is brought to you by Murdoch Hyundai out in Murray, Linden, and in Logan. The uh, Murdoch family, one of the good great Utah families around and family-run business for a long time. And I'm driving the Hyundai Santa Fe and absolutely loving it, with all of it. The heated seats, all the little bells and whistles. I'll tell you more about it uh, coming up. And today, our good friend Devin Cash of Equity Real Estate. Devin Cash has been with us from the very beginning. If you're looking to buy or sell a home, make sure you do it with Devin Cash. Jazz schedule coming up is uh, Milwaukee on Wednesday. That's Giannis Adetokounmpo. Tickets are available uh, for that. So feel free to jump aboard uh, along and, and join us for that game and then Saturday Kemba Walker and Charlotte are in town we then venture out for a three game trip and then good ones right after that huge ones Boston Clippers and Portland so uh, some really big games before the all-star break I hope you get a chance uh, to come out and join us for those we always start the show each and every day with pins across the world you can send yours in at dlock09 at gmail.com let's go to the pins across the world um, this is Josh Cranson, who sends me a uh, cute picture of his son uh, from the Upper Bowl. By the way, uh, speaking of the Upper Bowl, I've seen the drawings for next year and the new uh, redone arena. I mean, it's really just the new arena. It's really what we should call it. Renovation. I mean, it's a brand new arena. It's going to be just wildly different. And the Upper Bowl is incredibly cool. Uh, Some of the Upper Bowl areas, you'll be able to Get your food and then stand and look out and watch before you go back to your seat. It's going to have a great social element to it. So if you're somebody, you know, one thing I would say, the playoff run is going to be fun. So if you're someone you think you might buy season tickets for next year, it might not be a bad idea to buy, find someone, go in with it, just do it whatever uh, for the rest of this year, and then you get your playoff tickets, and then, you know, you got it. All right, anyway, back to Josh Cranson. Uh, oh, it's actually Crasson. There's no N in it. I just realized that. I consider myself a native Utah's fandom. 
has its roots during the height of the 12 and 32 era when I moved from Sacramento as a seven-year-old in 1989. I currently reside with my family in South Jordan, attend as many jazz home games as possible with my seven-year-old son, Jet. Although my pin makes sense to stick in South Jordan, my love of this podcast, my advancement to the upper echelon jazz fanhood began two years ago when I was hired by Delta Airlines as a pilot. I was initially based in New York, then Atlanta, and it was during the first year that I commuted 2,000 miles across the country twice per week, leaving my family in Salt Lake in order to complete my assigned flights. The podcast was the number one thing to keep me entertained during the commute and still is today. That's awesome. Thanks, Josh. As you're aware, most of uh, the exciting privilege of flying as a Delta pilot is the opportunity to charter a majority of NBA teams on our aircraft. In the past two years, I've flown many teams, including the Warriors, Spurs, Wizards, Clippers, and more. My charter dream is yet to come true as I have not flown the Jazz. The closest I came was picking up the plane. The Jazz flew home to Salt Lake City and flying it empty to Cleveland so the Cavs could jump on. It, it's a crazy – the flight attendants who fly with us as well are just – they do the most incredible things. They'll drop us off at 2 o'clock in the morning, and then they fly to the next city and wait for the – team. Uh, Delta is our charter provider, by the way, uh, and so there's a bunch of Delta fl- planes in the fleet, and the coordinate. I'd love to meet the guy who coordinates the uh, flying uh, for Delta and how they get everybody and every team there in time. It's, it's really amazing. Uh, anyway, I'm happy to report I'm now based back in Salt Lake. Your podcast streams over the speakers in my car every time I make the 17-mile commute to work. I love our team this year. I'm excited about the future, especially given the news uh, we recently received from ownership. If I ever get a chance to fly the team, you can be sure I'll say hi and remind you uh, to put a pin in South Jordan. All right, that's Josh Crasson and his son, Jet. Awesome. Love that. Good story. Thanks, Josh. Thank you. Please send in yours at dlock09 at gmail.com. We're just a fun little community of people. It seems to be getting bigger and bigger, uh, but that's uh, who we are. All right, I want to look at January. I know, uh, in theory, tomorrow's January, but we'll have a game to prepare for, and uh, so and the Jazz won't have played again. So let's take a look at January, some of the players' numbers, uh, what, how the team looked, and then we'll look at the league-wide as well, uh, if we can. And there are some weird, funky numbers in January, uh, with on-off stuff and some other aspects that will I, I have will not have an analysis for you, um, but let's look at January. The Jazz actually uh, played 15 games. They were nine and six. Uh, the best win, obviously, at home against Cleveland, and little did we know that was going to start the Cleveland downfall. Cleveland's really struggled from them. Uh, the worst loss is probably one of the most recent ones, either Memphis or Oklahoma City at home. Otherwise, we didn't really lose a, a bad game in there. Denver on the fourth game in five nights. I have a hard time putting that in Denver's playing well. So the, the signature of the month, probably my viewpoint was we got healthier. We won the games generally we were supposed to, but didn't break through. Right, I think that's kind of maybe the story of the month a little bit, is that we didn't break through. And so why... <clears throat> is there actually a cap? You know, I don't know. Is there anything to be concerned about? So the backcourt did not have a great month. Uh, and that, I think, jumps out a little bit. So George Hill in 12, played 12 of the 15 games. He shot 41% from the field and 32% from three. So since George has come back from the foot injury, he has not been quite the same. And if you watch him just walk around, he's, he's clearly still pained by that. So <clears throat> I think that's... Worth noting that George still doesn't seem to be... Now, 
George is an interesting case because he started the year so brilliantly like he was an all-star, and I think that you have to assume there's going to be a regression, that he's not at 30 years old going to suddenly have a, a brand-new career that he's never had before. Uh, he still is above all of his career averages right now in the shooting 40% from three and 48%. In, uh, but it's clear that that foot is still a bothersome to him. And in the 12 games he's been back, he's playing 33 minutes night, but he's shooting just 41%, 32% from three, uh, averaging 16 points. Hayward was just solid. He shot 46% from three. He's probably a little better than solid. He was an all-star. Uh, nothing too uh, surprising there. We were negative with him on the floor, though. You'll see this in a minute. It's really strange on the on-floor, off-floor numbers involved. There. Gobert came back to life a tiny bit at 58% field goal percentage instead of the outrageous 67 You know, I do think that Gobert's life changed on January 3rd. Boston defended Rudy Gobert differently on the 3rd, and now teams that are capable of defending him in that way, and what they did is they rolled a third guy into his role. They put guys into his legs. He became a focus of teams starting on G- on January 3rd. And there are big games now like Memphis twice where he just doesn't get shot attempts. Teams are are really focused on taking Rudy away, not allowing the roll to the rim, and it's, and it's going to open up opportunities for people. Um, and, there's gotta, and it's going to mean that there's got to be shots for people to knock down. Uh, we're getting looks. We're just we're not hitting them. Uh, Rodney, the month of January, 41% from the field. He did get his three-point shooting up to 39% with some good games uh, late. We were negative with him on the floor. He played 10 of the 15 games. He's only went to the line 1.1 times a game. That, to me, and I've talked about it a lot. I mean, I love Rod. He's got this incredible, it's like his strength is his weakness. He's got this incredible ability to get up and lift and be able to get the shot in over and create shooting windows for himself where they don't exist. But at some point, he has got to start going to the free throw line because otherwise it's it's just incredibly difficult for him to be an efficient offensive player. I mean, 1.1 free throws a game is it's stunningly low for a guy playing 30 minutes a night. In fact, if I ran around the league, it, it'd probably be hard to find guys uh, at that limited level. Derek, who, uh, you know, back out, did not participate in practice yesterday. I doubt he'll go today. I have no idea what it means for Wednesday. I don't know if we're back on a, a whole uh, started all over again process. It's really disconcerting. Frankly, he had played 14 of the 15 games in the month of January and then just didn't play uh, against Memphis. Uh, in that month, he shoots just 47%, which is just stunningly low for him. Uh, he's not actually getting fouled either. Uh, right now, you know, the Derek Favors of brilliance has has not emerged yet uh, this season. And it will be interesting to see um, whether it comes back. The other thing that happened in January, and the reason I think, you know, it's really interesting is that we almost had a collective slump as a team. And particularly on the offensive end, and we'll, we'll look at that a little bit. And a lot of it happened off the bench. Just some of the guys that were re- – and teams, I think, adjusted. Joe Ingles uh, – I have some numbers on Joe Ingles' different world this year uh, of what's taking place. Let me see if I can pull these up for you. And it just – it's not that Joe's – it's just so obvious that teams are suddenly scouting him uh, and are prepared for him. Uh, so Joe Ingles in the month of – uh, December shot 56% from three. And in January, before last game, he was shooting 33%. He finishes 
the month at 34%. Here, here's in about the exact same amount of minutes. In December, he got 59 threes off. And in January, he got about 40. The So teams just simply have changed, right? Like now it's on the scouting report. You run through it and you're, you're simply saying um, we're not allowing you to – you know, don't let Joe Ingles get that shot. Like, it's what teams do to Anthony Morrow, and suddenly, frankly, Anthony Morrow had his little run, and Reggie Williams had their run, and these guys who are just only shooters have their runs, and then teams defend them, and then it's over. So Joe got 41 three-point attempts. He got 60 in 59, called 40 and 60. It's just easier to do the math. But if you think about that, that's a 50% increase or decrease, right? He went from, you know, he lost about, actually, it's a 33% decrease of amount of threes. That's a huge deal. That's not Joe. That's clearly that teams have altered the way they're defending him, what they're doing with him, how they're aware of him. It's a different world. Now, Joe is versatile enough, unlike the guys I mentioned, that he'll be able to still be effective and stay in the league, but that three-point shooting is probably not going to be there. The bench three-point shooting wasn't great. Ingles, 34%. Joe Johnson, 33%. Boris Dio, 26%. Trey Lyles, 33%. Shelvin Mack, 18%. Howell Neto, 1 of 6. Dante Exum, 1 of 11. That's a big deal. That's a big deal. So as teams now see how we run, know our stuff, get into January and February now, and they know we're running, they're taking away the go-bear role. They're taking away Hayward. They're probably trying to work on Rodney. This is leaving... If they're, you know, they're no longer allowing, uh, they're no longer allowing Ingles free. This is now opening up opportunities for other guys, or you would hope, or it creates, and that's those aren't going down. Trey Lyle shoots thirty three percent for the month. Uh, AB's been a nice taking advantage of it. Thirty three free throws in one hundred and fifty three minutes. Not, uh, not trying to. Uh, I, I just trying to. Ex- explain the Rodney Hood 11 free throws, trying to put it in perspective. So Rodney played 300 minutes, had 11 free throws. I think Joe Ingles had 13 free throws in 360 minutes. So same lack of going to the line between those two guys. Alec Burks had 33 free throws in 150 minutes. So very, right, like much, much higher rate. Um so I think that's really an interesting aspect to them as teams begin to adjust. And so what we can see now is Gobert's not getting the same looks. Uh, his role is being taken away. Joe Ingles' space is being taken away. Teams are adjusting to who we are and offensively, and now other guys are going to have to start making plays. That's what, that's what January tells me, and I think it's that adjustment of why did we not explode in the month of January? Why did we not make that next step uh, in the month of January? And I think that's the answer. Um, I'm pretty certain. Uh, We just didn't, not everything clicked in. And I think that, you know, that's what the next 30 some odd games are for is to to start getting those things uh, right. Looking at the, as a team in the month and where we kind of ranked and, and where we stood um, in the month. So in January, our offense dripped, dipped two points per 100 possession. Now eight, we are 18th in the league offensively. Okay? 
Same concept, right? Teams have adjusted to us. Now we have to, and I actually think we've adjusted to them. We have to make shots. We went from December being the third best effective field goal percentage team in league to January being the 24th ranked effective field goal percentage team. If you look at the four factors, we did a lot of other things well. When George came back, we stopped turning the ball over. We went from 29th in turnovers to 14th. We, uh, sorry, my just got notified of something. There we go. Uh, we went to the free throw line the second most amount of t- time of any team in the league. Our offensive rebounding went from 20th to 13th. All of those trends are great. Like if the, So the four factors are how you shoot, whether you go to the free throw line, whether you turn it over, and whether you rebound. So we went from fourth in the league to second in the league going to the line. We went from 29th in committing turnovers to 14th. We went from 20th in the league in offensive rebounding to 13th in offensive rebounding. And the, the only problem was our effective field goal percentage. We just didn't make shots. We just simply didn't make shots. And I, I, I actually don't think it's any more complicated than that. Uh, other than teams have adjusted to us and maybe some different guys are making shots. And so we're going to have to, you know, that's the key to watch is whether we make some shots. Uh, defensively, still great. Just terrific. Fourth best defending the shot. Tenth best at not fouling. Our, we started forcing turnovers. We're more active defensively. We're 19th. And we went from, this is where favors is important. We went from 22nd in the league in defensive rebounding to second. With Derek back. Derek's really important in that regard. Uh, so defensively, we're still, hey, we had a bad game against Memphis. But for the month, we're still great. Second best team in the league. Overall, here's what's really interesting. Overall, in the month of January, we're the seventh best net rating team in the NBA. So the sky is certainly not falling. And that's what we were in December as well. And in November, we were third best. So we stayed very consistent top ten team in the league. The offense has gotten less good. The defense has gotten better. The weird one that I referenced a few moments ago is the weird on-court, off-court stuff in the month of January. And I'm not... Sure. Now, our second quarters, I don't know if you heard this on our broadcast the other night. Our second quarters are really troublesome. I think we're 29th in the league offensively in second quarters. And I'm not, I haven't figured out why that is. And uh, player combinations, uh, I don't know if, actually, I wonder if I can look that up. Here's the weird one about this team in the month of January. When Gordon Hayward is off the floor, we were plus 11 and minus when he was on. That's the exact opposite of the rest of the year. Something when Gordon's on defensively, we're a 107. When he's off defensively, we're a 93.1. My only question, and I don't know, and I'll have to go look at this, is to whether we suddenly started staggering Gobert and Hayward because they were our two best players and we wanted one of them on the floor at the all at all times. And therefore, suddenly Gordon's not on the floor with Rudy anymore and the numbers suddenly don't look as good. That's the only thought I had when I saw that. Otherwise, uh, we've been very good with Alec on the floor, very good with Dante on the floor in his limited minutes. Great with Boris on the floor, great with George Hill on the floor. Good with Joe Ingles, good with Trey Lyles, and then not as good with Rudy, Derek, Rodney, and Gordon. Like our four worst 
plus minus offensive players in the month of January were our main guys. So that's really funky. And I I am much better if I have a thought on what's taking place. I go and look at it to see if it's true than looking at a number and being able to figure and then plugging in an answer. I'm not sure that I do that particularly well. I don't I'm not sure I have that answer for you. Uh, I'll give you the Gordon and Rudy stuff in a second, but I did want to tell you that today's show is brought to you by Murdoch Hyundai. And uh, I've gotten to know Blake and the whole Murdoch family uh, through this relationship. Uh, it's been really nice. And when they reached out to me at first and said they're interested, I'll be honest, I was like, okay, well, I'll, I'll meet with you and, and, and find out. And then I was really impressed by who they were, the family-run element of the business, the multiple generations when we all sat around a table uh, and, and met each and every uh, one of them and how the family you know, has a philosophy of who they are. They have their family name involved on it. They're obviously good. So they're going to make sure that, uh, that everything goes well and that you're – you know, treat it well because they don't want you talking badly about the Murdochs, and that's specifically what you really would be doing if something goes wrong. Uh, that's why their their kind of slogan is that they're going to have a no regrets uh, purchasing process for you. Everything about what you experience when you deal with Murdoch will have no regrets. You'll be very happy. You'll get a good car. They'll keep their service things open for you longer. Give you free stations open longer. Give you free car washes, etc., to make sure that you have that experience. Uh, then the next part was okay. Well, do I want to drive a Hyundai? And I didn't know much about the brand. And if I'm really honest about it, I probably thought little about the brand. I had noticed at times I'd seen a Genesis or a Sonata or some of these cars over the years past and the Elantra and thought to myself, wow, those are, uh, those are really neat, neat uh, cars. And, oh, wow, oh, that's a Hyundai. But I hadn't driven one. I'm driving the Santa Fe Sport right now. It, it's got everything. Like the, It's roomy. It drives beautifully. It's got all the modern stuff where if I try to change lanes and there's a car, it warns me, uh, beeps at me if I'm being lazy driving. Uh fabulous uh, heated seats in the back for the kids, just every bell and every whistle, and then great space inside and fab- drives terrifically. So I would check it out if I were you. The Murdoch family is going to give you a high-quality experience, and the Hyundai is a much, uh, really an impressive vehicle with every single aspect. In fact, what I've noticed is that Hyundai owners have a lot of pride. In fact, I got an email from Mike Barrett from Pasco, Washington, who said, hey, you're, you're forgetting to mention that Hyundai has a five-year, $60 million bumper-to-bumper and a 10-year, 100,000-mile warranty. That's the, the best thing. I have my uh, Hyundai Ascent and uh, no other manufacturers providing what they provide. The insurance uh, the owner has major – like, I love the fact that these – owners, uh, once they find out you, uh, they, they want to share the experience. It's almost like, hey, I got one over on everyone. I got a Hyundai. So check it out. Hyundai Murdoch, Murdoch Hyundai, 4646 South State Street. Uh, in, uh, I think you'll be pleased. Alright, let's check this idea that somehow part of the reason we've become so bad defensively is that Gordon and Rudy are not playing together anymore. I don't even know if this is true. It was the only thing... Um, I, I could come up with as my idea. And the fact is, it's not true. I just looked it up. Hayward and Gobert spent, uh, of, of Gobert's time on the floor, Gobert spent all but 65 minutes on the floor uh, with Gordon. So Rudy played 527 minutes in the month of January. And all of them had... Rudy on the floor. Gordon's the same thing. Gordon played 512 minutes. 461 of them had Gobert on the floor. So why we are so bad defensively with Gordon on the floor 
for the month of January is beyond me. And the answer, actually, I just pulled it up. We're not very good when we're only okay when Rudy and Gordon are on the floor together. When Gordon's on the floor and Rudy's on the bench, our defensive rating was 127. Wow. So I don't know what happened in those 50 minutes, but it's worth just let's put it. It's a small sample size. Let's just put it. Put a little eye on it, uh, but I think that summarizes the month of, of of January for the Jazz. They were nine and six. They're still top ten in the NBA. It felt like a month where they were ready to take a jump. They didn't take it, and I think it is that offenses or defenses adjusted to the Jazz, starting uh, with the way Boston played them on the fir- January third. It has opened up other things, and we're not taking advantage of that quite yet. That would be my. My number one, that would be my analysis of it. And there will be good, the offense runs in a fashion that there are good looks and there are looks to be had. And the question will be whether or not um, we get to the point where we start knocking them down. Uh, And that'll probably, now, is it fair to rely on those guys will be the next question. But that's truly what every great team has to do. At some point, somebody other than the Stars have to start making plays while the Stars continue to make plays. In the month of January, the number one team in the league was no surprise was the Warriors. Number two was the Spurs. The Wizards were third. Boston was fourth. Dallas was fifth. How about that? The Dallas Mavericks, 13th in offense, 6th in defense, 5th net rating. Rick Carlisle's unbelievable. The Clippers, I think this is really newsworthy. The Clippers, despite all their injuries, were 6th. The Jazz were 7th. Denver 8th, Indiana 9, Atlanta 10. No real surprises in the bottom of the pack other than Orlando 29, Milwaukee 27th. Sacramento fell apart. And <clears throat> Oklahoma City 23rd. And then the story of the month is Cleveland. Cleveland's 22nd offensive rating, 14th defensive rating, 22nd overall in the month of January. That's incredible. The number one offensive team was Denver. Boston's up to four. Indiana's at five. The Orlando was the worst offensive team. Oklahoma City, despite all the Russells doing, is 26th offensively. It leads me to believe that Oklahoma City could really hit the skids without Ennis a little bit. Now, plus minus doesn't say that, but it just tells me they're pretty thin. The really weird team in the month of January is Portland. They're 21st offensively and 9th defensively. The opposite of what I think most people thought. Top defensive teams, Warriors were one, Jazz were two. Philadelphia was third. Atlanta four, Washington five. Dallas six, San Antonio seven, Miami eight, Orlando nine, as I mentioned, and Timberwolves at ten. Sacramento, Denver, Phoenix, Nets, Pistons, Lakers, Bucks are the worst. No surprises, really. So that's where everybody sits in January. If you're looking to buy a house, or if you're actually just wondering what the market is doing, then... Devin Cash is your guy. Uh, the other day, Zach Campbell came by and said hi to me. Zach Campbell is a locked-on jazz listener <clears throat> who used Devin Cash. And he's, he sent me a, a note that said, uh, I've uh, changed my pin across the world because I, I met with Devin. Most people don't realize how important realtors are. Their ability to establish rapport with their counterparts are huge. Uh, Devin is simply a downright good guy. He fosters positive relationships with everyone he interacts with. We had several other people vying for the house we purchased. I credit Devin's interpersonal skills and real estate savvy. Zach was all fired up. Now I've got a new one from Kyle. Uh, uh, You know, 
he said to me, speak of ad time, it worked. My wife is enrolling the U of U, and because of that, I need to move. Enter Devin Cash. I've been in my home for about nine years, and the realtor I used was an old friend of mine, but he was since given up the career. That left us with a pick-out-a-name-of-the-hat scenario, so I gave Devin a call after convincing my wife to trust in Jazz Nation just to see what would come out of it. I have been pleasantly surprised. We spent 15 minutes talking about my situation, where we wanted to go, when we were planning on going. Devin listened with genuine care. He spent the next 25 minutes talking basketball and life, and Devin built a market comparison analysis for me, and by the end of the next day, which was great, I didn't expect him to put that sort of effort in so quickly. The biggest surprise working with Devin was his personal attack. We're not planning on moving for at least six months, so I was apprehensive on how he would handle the situation, but he's been great. He's kept in touch, but at no point ever come across as pushy and impatient or uninterested, uh, which I'll explain when I explained to him. Uh, I was being proactive because of how big a change it was for my family. He's been nothing but empathetic and understanding. So if you're looking to buy a house, or if you might be considering it, Devin Cash is your guy. Give Devin a call, 801-759-1495. 801-759-1495. Trust in Jazz Nation, he says. 801-759-1495. Devin Cash, Equity Real Estate. So LeBron went off. LeBron on Charles Barkley. What makes what he says credible? Because he's on TV? Which has really been... If any, one's paid attention. Charles hadn't made an accurate comment in years. It's been entertaining. We've all given him a pass. But when it got personal and it went so far, LeBron finally had to stood up. Inappropriate, whiny, and all the above was what Barkley called LeBron last week. LeBron has had enough of it. Well, first of all, LeBron's in a bad mood because his team's not good, right? I'm not going to let him disrespect my legacy, LeBron says. I'm not the one who threw somebody through a window. I never spit on a kid. I never had unpaid debt in Las Vegas. I never said I'm a role, not a role model. I never showed up to All-Star Weekend on Sunday because I was in Vegas all weekend partying. All I've done for my entire career is represent the NBA the right way, 14 years, never got in trouble, respected the game, print that. Go watch the 93 finals when John Paxson hit the shot. Barkley and Jordan were laughing and joking with each other. One of the games while somebody's shooting a free throw in the finals. But, oh, nobody were friends back then. He continued. I know he wanted to retire a long time ago, but he can't. He's stuck on that stage every week. And if that makes him want to talk about me, the schedule's out there. He knows every road arena I'll be in. Don't just come up to me at All-Star and shake my hand and smile. So LeBron fires off. I'm tired of biting my tongue. There's a new sheriff in town. Uh... I mean, I think there's a there's a lot of validity that Charles has this huge role and without necessarily taking the time to always be accurate and talks off the cuff and it feeds the beast and occasionally it steamrolls people along the way and it's LeBron's got a right to come forward. I'm going to back LeBron on this one. 
I'm a big LeBron fan. I think he's one of the most incredible stories the game's ever had, not just as a player but as a person. I think he's represented the league amazingly in a time and an era where it's incredibly difficult to do that uh, without making mistakes. And I think to have someone cheap shot him, considering all he's done, uh, is I think he's right. And you know what? I think someone had to throw some shade on Barkley to just point out that there's a double standard and somewhat of a lack of accuracy in some of the things that is being are being said and so and defend themselves. I really do. So I'm gonna side with LeBron on this one. I got Charles as just entertainment, but when just entertainment becomes personal, it's no longer just entertainment. Interested to know your thoughts. That is Locked On Jazz for the day. Hope you enjoyed it. A January review brought to you by our friends at Murdoch Hyundai at 4646 South State Street. Murdoch Hyundai available for you. Uh, check it out. Whether it's the Santa Fe I'm driving, the Tucson, the Elantra, the Sonata, whatever it might be. And Devin Cash of Equity Real Estate. Devin's just really a great guy. 801-759-1495. 801-759-1495. This is Locked On Jazz, part of the Locked On Podcast Network.